Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast and a very sort of different episode, a bit of a unique episode, but one I'm very much looking forward to because we get caught up so much in a podcast like this. We're talking about transfers, we're talking about players, this player should play here, this player should play there, the manager should do, do this, manager should do that. But I think over the last couple of months, it's sort of always, you almost have to take a step back and realise how important fans have been in terms of football, and especially Manchester United. And it's sadly taken us a thing like COVID and the coronavirus, the pandemic, to sort of to appreciate that because we've obviously seen an old Trafford, which is empty in football grounds around the world, which have been empty. So I think we get caught up in so much of the importance of players and transfers and goals and everything. But at the heart of it, it is about Man United fans. That is the most important thing because players will come and go, managers will come and go. Pray to God these owners will come and go, but the fans will obviously always still be there. So a little bit something different. And obviously we're here in Sydney, the part of the Man United Supporters Club of New South Wales. But I'm going to be talking to Keith, the chairman of the Brisbane Supporters Club, a little bit further north for um, our Australian listeners. And hopefully our English viewers, our English listeners can get something out of this podcast as well. But Keith, how are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Uh, just about recovered from our, our big uh, 10-year anniversary party on Saturday night. It turned into a bit of a late one. Well, that is one of the probably the main reason we got you on. I thought it was a great opportunity to um, talk about that because it obviously the official supporters club in Brisbane did just celebrate their 10-year anniversary and um, got those 10 years go quick. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, just seeing everyone the other night, uh, a lot of people we haven't seen for a long time from the very start and... Uh, yeah, good trip down memory lane and crazy to think uh, this supporters club didn't exist uh, 10 years ago, you know? Well, we'll definitely get into all things and we'll try and do this in sort of a chronological order. We'll say how it formed, highlights and all this, the Sydney tour of 2013, the recent tour of Perth and sort of sort of what lies ahead for the supporters club. But we will, um, might as well start from the start. And I think a lot of our, your Brisbane viewers sort of will know this story, but I think it'll be good for everyone to get a little bit of sort of background knowledge and just a bit, little bit about how obviously the supporters club started because quite a sort of just a bit of a unique story. Yeah, well, um, obviously you can probably tell by my accent I'm, I'm not originally from Brisbane. Um, so I came out, out here from Dublin in 2007 um, and obviously living so far away from home, you get settled in. But one of the things I, I really missed was was watching United. Um, so there's not many places that show games at two and three in the morning. Um, and I stumbled across, literally stumbled across to Pig and Whistle, um, which was the kind of only sports bar that would be showing games that late. Um, but I went down a few times and was watching games and kind of on my own or two or three other lads in, in, in a corner. Um, and I couldn't understand how... In, in a big city like Brisbane that there wasn't a real kind of set up or there wasn't, it didn't seem to be a huge United following. Um, quite the opposite, actually. The, for, the, the, the big nights I was down for, there was uh, the Liverpool games and there'd be 70, 80 Liverpool fans there and um, yeah, a, a group of United fans in the corner, very kind of sad and lonely. And um, I started kind of seeing these same two or three faces um, and got chatting to a couple of the lads, a couple of local guys, and said, "Look, what's the goal here? Why is why is there no supporters club?" Um, and we kind of found it uh, through chatting. There was a couple of failed attempts. A few people tried to get one going, and um, nothing really came of it. 
kind of long story short, then they, they kept they kept on at me to try and get one going. Um, and eventually then I decided I was going to stay in Australia. I got my visa sorted and that. And we put the start putting the wheels in motion, really. Well, how did the club then, obviously, stuff from a few people at a pub and just talking about hopefully doing something, hopefully doing something. What was in terms of, when, how long did it take you to become an official supporters club rather than just a group of people who watched the game together and that official status with Manchester United? Well, I think that was the thing at the start. Like a lot of other supporters clubs have a model to go on. You know, if you, if you start uh, if you start a supporters club in Ireland, you you can probably look at your next county or or one you know the the next local one over. Um, over here we only really had yourselves, the New South Wales, and and the Victoria. But you guys seem to be a lot more established and and kind of um all, already down the line, whereas we didn't really know how to start from scratch. So we kind of just made it up as we went along. Um, going, becoming official, we were about three years at it. And there was a lot of kind of nights where we tried to, we, we, we tried the usual plug it on Facebook and word of mouth and, and, you know, try and get people to bring mates along and just uncover all the United fans in Brisbane, really, that, that weren't coming to the pig at that time. Um, we got the pig and whistle to sponsor us and, and take us on as a proper sports club. But I suppose it wasn't really until the Sydney trip, until United announced they were coming to Sydney. Um, and all of a sudden, all these United fans in Brisbane that we didn't know were there kind of came out of the woodwork. Yeah, no, the supporters club in New South Wales obviously had the same issue. And the, the tour was obviously in our backyard. The, the numbers you saw from the supporters club just went through the roof and it was very difficult to sort of maintain those members because a lot of them unfortunately were just there for the match tickets but um definitely people did stay around and you just mentioned there in regards to one of the big things in terms of getting the ball rolling is word of mouth and i see so many people online on facebook and twitter and say yes i'll be there i'll come down on saturday night to watch the match and then you don't see them however the ones that do show up they think geez why haven't i been coming all, all the time yeah well i like that i always say that it's it's so easy to to like uh, press the like button on Facebook or um, say you're going to an event and then it comes to 2am and yeah. your bed is more comfortable than, than getting down there. So, yeah, that's obviously one of the one of the challenges at the start. But um, the Sydney trip for us was, was a game changer because we, we kind of realised anyone that runs a sports club know to become official, you have to get the 50 members. You have to get 50 signed up members. And... We looked at it and we were slowly getting there, but we realised then if we kind of said to people, you become a member, we'll, we'll get you tickets in the active zone with us in Sydney. And all of a sudden, yeah, we hit 60, 70, became an official supporters club overnight. Yeah, for, the, for those who don't know who aren't part of the supporters club, first of all, go and really look up your local supporters club and get involved because it is important for those supporters clubs and also United, but you mentioned there, uh, what Keith was saying is in 50, you need 50 members to become an official supporters club. You can have 500 members who are part of your supporters club, but to have that official affiliation with Manchester United, you need 50 Man United members. You need to reach that sort of milestone every single season to sort of keep your official status, which gives you things like match tickets to Old Trafford, obviously when crowds are allowed back in. Unfortunately, it's no, no real good at the moment. But um, you just mentioned just a little bit more about the club before we move on. Just a little bit, sort of, you know, facts and figures about the club. Like, sort of, we look back, sort of, it started with a few people at a pub, and now 10 years later, sort of, how many, just off the top of your head, sort of, how many members, etc. 
Yeah, well, I think this is the the fourth year running we've we've hit over a hundred official members, um, and obviously you probably know yourself. There's a lot of people that will come down to the pub and and are actually involved in the supporters club, but they never get around to signing up. Mm. Um, but for for a, a city the size of Brisbane, so far away, considering the the time that games are on, to have over a hundred members um, every year is 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 fantastic. Like it's if you look at United, give a list of every year of, of how many um, how many members each supporters club. And I remember looking some years and we're we're above Italy and like a whole country and um, the West Limerick supporters club that Smurf runs. It's nice to be ahead of him every year as well. So. Well, we'll definitely get him into him a little bit later in the podcast. But you just mentioned there the Pig and Whistle, obviously your home pub, and I think it's important for people who are sort of involved in their local supporters club will realise how important sort of their home pub is. Like, it's pretty much your home. It's where everyone meets, it's where the matches are. So just a little bit about, sort of we'll get into events you've had and highlights you've had there, but sort of your relationship with the pub. We'll talk a little bit about off-air of sort of a little bit of give and take, etc. And um, yeah, just sort of how did that sort of come about in terms of did they sort of, did you approach them and say, hey, can this be our pub? Or did they say, hey, there's a few United fans here, do we want to do something? Yeah, well, the pig and whistle is um, is unique in that if you look at most of the sports clubs, um, they'll all have their own bar. Um, like in New South Wales, I know Liverpool have cheers, and I'm not sure where you guys go these days. I know it used to be Scruffy Murphy's, and um, but the pig and whistle is home to a lot of sports clubs. Um, originally, the Liverpool Sports Club, um, they have like Stoke, West Ham, uh, City, Chelsea. But it's it's it actually makes for a great atmosphere because what what brings out the best in us some nights is that you have opposition fans and it's it's literally like being away, being right beside the away end mm-hmm. um, at a at a ground. So the more they sing and taunt, you, you you give it a bit back and it's it's like nine times out of ten it's all good banter and um, and great fun. But it, originally it was just the really the as I said the the only place you could go. Um, but as the years have gone on, they've been really good to us. They've they've opened at, at crazy hours. And I think the best thing about the Pig and Whistle was originally, as I said, when when we went there, it was a Liverpool-dominated bar. Um, but as the years have gone on and our numbers have, have grown, they've actually got sick of us um, and they decided to move away. Um, so they no longer... the the. Um, Queensland Liverpool Sports Club no longer go to the Big and Whistle. Um, so, yeah, we like to kind of think we've knocked them off their perch in, in Brisbane. <laughs> no, take that. We'll definitely take that because it's yeah, not looking great on the pitch at the moment. So, we'll take no. what we can get. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you just mentioned that in terms of Liverpool supporters. I'm sadly here. They, look, they're a very well run supporters club here and they've got a massive, massive follow, ma- massive group of official members. They're a very well run club. Um, we did beat them in our charity match last season and we played a game. We beat them 4 1. But um, yeah, would that would Liverpool be the other biggest supporters club there, or is there anyone else? Like, in, in terms of Sydney, we do have Celtic. We do have um, if you ask them, have a, quite a decent supporters club. Yeah, well, yeah, there's big um, Celtic and Rangers uh, supporters clubs here. Um, City City actually do have um, decent support here as well in Brisbane. Um, other than that, the Spurs actually Spurs are a good crew. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, look, we we know most of them as well. We 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 see the same faces and we do get along with a lot of them. The West Ham guys, um, another guy who runs the Stoke Club, and yeah, most of them are. But um, I don't really, we don't really see the Liverpool supporters anymore. Um, obviously, last year was a brilliant year for them, so I'd imagine that they had great numbers. Um, I'm not sure what pub they go to now, but yeah, it's good that we don't have to look at them gloat anymore. Yeah, no, it's good in terms of that. I think it's important to sort of keep connections and keep a good network with other supporters clubs. I think everyone, as you say, in terms of that banter, in terms of almost side by side in the pub, I think it's an important thing. It's an important aspect which can sort of be the difference if a fan's going, or oh, should I really want to come out and watch it? Yeah. Or if they've got a good experience of a night before, they're definitely sort of ticking that box. But I just want to move on to match nights now and obviously staying in that pub theme in terms of, We'll get into the sort of the best matches, the best match nights you've had. But in terms of one of the big problems Sydney has, and we'll discuss this a little bit with where certain committee members live on your on the Brisbane committee. But one of the big challenges Sydney have is the location of the city. Pretty much everyone leaves probably about an hour from the, the city, and it's a it's a nightmare to get into the in, into the Sydney CBD and then get out. And then obviously a couple of years ago there was a lockdown laws which changed a lot of pubs restrictions at night. And as you say, everyone knows what Australian kickoff times are like. A lot of them are midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. sort of thing. Yeah. So it is quite difficult. Like it's, a, it's a nice idea to say, yeah, we'll go out and watch the match, but do you want to be leaving the pub at 4 a.m. and with no bus to get home or no train to get home? So it is, unfortunately, a lot more comfortable for people to watch at home. It is quite logistically a little bit tough to get into Sydney at the moment, or Sydney or in and out. So I'm just wondering what Brisbane is like in terms of the pig and whistle and the sort of transport and sort of the challenges you have with getting people there at sort of tricky kickoff times? I think I think one of the best things that's come out of our supporters club is there's so many friendships and groups of, of little mini groups within the group that have, have formed. And what they do now is a lot of them meet up beforehand. Um, we got a great guy here. I don't know if you've ever met Declan McGurl. Um, great guy. And he um, he organises all the, the Redlands crew. It'll be like... Um, let's say Cronulla, um, the Shire kind of, and all them crew meet up and, and f- maybe five, ten of them all travel in together and share a taxi and that. So obviously the, the supporters club started where it was a lot of us were kind of young single lads and, and ladies and a lot of us lived in the city. We were renting in there and we could go to the pig and whistle and not worry about work too much and and, and kids and families and that. But as the years have gone on, we've kind of stepped away from going we used to pride ourselves on going every single week we used to get down to the pig and this used to be our thing we would go every single week but as the years have gone on now we kind of pick out um five six seven big games early kickoffs um and, and try and really instead of going and having five or six there every week we try and get 50 60 there seven eight times a year you know kind of that way yeah, no, I think that is a really good idea and it's not something that we plan like that. But however, I think maybe subconsciously we do. I think if you can go out there and watch a match with three or four people, that's fantastic. But there yeah. is something a bit more impactful if you can have 60, 70, 100 people there. I think those people will take a lot more from it and not obviously yourself as well. But we'll just go on to maybe any specific match nights. And for us, it's obviously some of the Liverpool games. We've had the FA Cup final in 2016, the Europa League final just after the bombing in Manchester was a big night for us at the pub. Well, actually, that was too big. We had to move to the casino for that one. But are there any sort of match nights that really stick out in terms of 
the result you remember, sort of the incidents with fans or just those, yeah, yeah, those well, type of games? In the in the documentary we did, um, it was one of the questions I asked everyone. Um, and it kind of got me thinking of my own. And I think there's a couple, a kind of a couple that stand out. The the morning really that we won the the twentieth league title, um, because the place was packed. I wasn't expecting that many. Actually, I think I remember seeing photos on Facebook um, of that one. Yeah, against yeah, Aston Villa. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, even just we had a. I remember we had a, me and Jed had a bottle of champagne stashed in the in the bushes outside. Uh, the pig and whistle and we went outside and popped that afterwards there's still some photos there after but they, they go with the difference in um the 10 years like that was that was back what seven years ago and me and jed were kind of uh didn't have the responsibilities we have now so we kind of did an all-nighter that night and uh yeah we started off at midnight and went all the way through i think we did similar for the europa league final as well and um they were probably the best morning ones um, but as far as nights, I think there's the standout ones, the, the 2016 FA Cup final, as you say, um, I think it was because it went on so late as well. Yeah, that was a long everyone, night. Yeah. yeah, everyone was just blind. And it, <laughs> <laughs> it, like People always say to me, what makes for the best atmosphere? So you, you, can, you can do anything to try and entice a great atmosphere, but alcohol is always the best. <laughs> it's always the best and just let people go, but I think, I suppose, looking at it from a chairman's point of view of a supporters club, the, the nights where there's one where Van Persie scored an equaliser um, against Mourinho's Chelsea. It'd be about maybe four or five years ago now. But it was literally 2 two a.m. kickoff in Brisbane. So when that ball, and that's a Sunday night, um, just a normal league game, not a final. And I remember looking around with, 10 minutes ago and I couldn't believe how many people there must have been 50 people there and I was just I just looked at Jed and I was like everyone here is going to work in a couple of hours and I'm like this is brilliant this is from, a, from two or three lads for the early kickoffs to getting these numbers for a league game on a Sunday night at 2am you know no, definitely. I remember that Ben Percy goal and um yeah, um, big celebrations. But you just mentioned that in terms of before we move on to sort of a lot of the highlights from the supporters club over the years, you just mentioned there being the chairman of the supporters club. I don't think a lot of people, unless you're involved in the committee, do do not I wouldn't say don't respect, but don't understand or appreciate just how much work goes into it. And I'm I'm a part of the committee and I look at how much time it takes me and I do nothing pretty much. I look at the people like Emma and Matt and Mark who do so much work. It's a it's a full time job almost. Like just a little bit of your experience of yeah, just how much sort of did you realise what you were getting yourself into? Um, not at all, no. And as far as challenges uh, kind of go, I think in the early days it was all about growth. It was all about developing the supporters club and how do we get the members and how do we create something. And I think then kind of after we'd built the base and, and built up our core group of people. After that, then it just became, as soon as we do something, um, it's always on to the next. I remember, I'll never forget Brian Robson night at the end of it. We just got Brian Robson to our, to our pub in, in, in Brisbane. And at the end of the night, after six, seven weeks of planning this, someone said to me, who's next? And I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, man, get, let me, let me have a, let me have a drink and, enjoy this one till, till it's over but 
I think sometimes people, you, you, you hit the nail on the head there that people don't realize, like I work in construction, I work 60 hours a week, I have a small child. Um, and, and sometimes people don't realize that, and, you know, they're messaging me privately and, and on at me when, when little small things that, that could probably wait. But I, th- I think, um, I think we've probably kind of caused that ourselves as well. We've set our standards quite high and, um, it's, it's probably, I, I am the type of person that if I'm going to do something, I want to do it right. Um, and I know, ask anyone that's worked on the board with me, I am a pain in the ass. I know that myself, but I always say to them, trust me and, and we'll get there in the end. It'll be worth it in the end. It's going to be hard work. And you can just see like, like the other night, the 10 year anniversary night at the end of the night, everyone's smile and beam and you know they've had a great night and that four or five weeks of planning it is has all come through to fruition you know yeah and no, i definitely will we'll move on to that 10 year anniversary the celebrations that you had on the weekend a little bit later in the podcast but um you just mentioned there we'll mention at the start of the podcast sorry in terms of a real sort of turning point and something that really got the ball rolling and in terms of official status as well was obviously the sydney tour of 2013 now that was one obviously in our backyard but obviously the first tour for you guys. So just a little bit of, obviously you could talk for, I guess, hours about that tour. But just one or two things that really stood out and sort of sort of highlights and maybe something that did sort of sort of resonate with you? Yeah, well, I think obviously if you ask anyone about that day, it was the Cheers Bar experience really that day. Um, because we, we have a bloke here, Pete Morgan, um, who was doing a bit of work in Sydney at the time and our plan was to try and make this like an away day. Um, it's kind of, so many of our members had never been to Old Trafford. So it was like, can we bring Old Trafford to them? Um, and the whole idea was we would go into this bar, take it over and make it like Sam Platts or, or the Tollgate or, you know, one of them pre-match pubs with a great atmosphere. Um, but when Pete told me it was actually the Liverpool supporters bar, Initially, I was kind of a bit, I, I didn't really know if it was a good idea, but the more he plugged it to me that we could go and take it over, I was like, yeah, yeah, that appeals to me a bit more now. Um, but I remember even the management had um, signed Liverpool jerseys on the wall and mm. they wanted to take them down and everything. And I don't think, even in our, in our heads, I kind of had this image of what the day would be, but it wasn't until about four o'clock. I think the game kicked off that night about, seven eight o'clock it was about four o'clock in the day and the place was just electric there was people up on chairs there was people hanging off the balcony and the noise it was you know people that have been season ticket holders at old trafford and said they would never seen an atmosphere like that day um it's i always look at it it's a pity uh, at that stage we were kind of only getting our own supporters club going. We didn't really know. I, I only met Emma and, and Mark on that trip for the first time. The Perth supporters club hadn't really started. And so we were kind of on our own. But it, it kind of, after that, everyone wanted to get involved. And when we came back to Brisbane, I think people thought it was going to be like that in Brisbane every every week. And you're like, I remember we were playing Reading or something in an FA Cup game and, people were like, oh, where's all the flags and the 200 people that were, were standing beside me in, in Sydney? I was like, yeah, it's not like that every week, but hopefully we can get it like that again. But 
yeah, that was um, it. Just everything clicked into place. I think it wasn't just the game day; it was the the build up the night before and the the day after. And uh, you ask people about the game itself, and no one really remembers it. It, it was all that build up and, and and everything that surrounded it. I think that's a huge thing of the tour in terms of we're so excited whether here, whether they be New South Wales or whether they be Perth, wherever. We're so excited. The game for me, as much as I love the game, loved enjoyed go there. That's fantastic. I find it a bit boring. I obviously joined in with the songs and everything. That, that's fantastic. The actual game itself, it's a pre-season game. I get nothing yeah. out of it. Yeah. But um, yeah, it is everything that goes along with it. Um, and we will get into the Perth tour um a little bit later. But I think one of the things you did mention there, obviously, it was such a new time, even for our sports coming on to twenty years. But two thousand thirteen, there was. You almost just look at it through social media as well. Social media and networking has improved so much over the last ten years. Everyone was sort of doing their own thing, and sort of we had a deal sort of with the casino at the time. Obviously, so we didn't really know you guys, and you guys had obviously the Liverpool supporters come and thinking, "Hang on, that's a Liverpool supporters level. <laughs> we're, we're doing this yeah. one." And um, I think that the growth you sort of saw, which we'll get into in the Perth in the Perth tour where we had Melbourne, you had Adelaide, you had Perth, you had Sydney, New South Wales, everyone, and obviously the people who travelled from the UK. I think that social media played a huge part. Everyone was on the same page and it just sort of, as you mentioned, that one sort of afternoon in cheese turned into almost a week in Perth. But we will get into that in a little bit. And um, just moving on to events, one of the big things, I think all the members, all their highlights or sort of one of the main things for getting involved with supporter clubs is we're sort of fortunate enough from time to time, not as often as we'd like, but from time to time, we do get sort of events with sort of ex-players or people involved with the club. And we've had some very good ones here in um, for the New South Wales Supporters Club. But just a little bit about any sort of ex-events or ex-players you've had involved in Brisbane. Yeah, well, obviously they've been um, some of the some of the really big nights we've had. The first one we did was with uh, was with Brian Robson. And again, I suppose like going to the Sydney trip, we didn't know how to we didn't know how to plan a tour and. With having an ex-player here, we didn't know how to how to go about it. I remember we priced the tickets ridiculously high at the start because we were trying to cover ourselves. And the Brian Robson night, I think, is probably the most stressful thing I ever did um, with the sports club because we were so close to cancelling it. Um, I won't go into exactly how much money it cost, but I remember we had to pay for like I think he brought his uh, his agent with him and that so it wasn't just him um and hotels and flights and everything like that but having having him in the pig and whistle in an intimate setting like that and I was kind of like is this gonna work or is he gonna want something more formal is he gonna want a kind of but it ended up that is exactly why he, he was settled in that environment and there's a great picture of me and him just sitting on a sitting on a high stool with a, a bottle of Budweiser in, in our hands having a laugh. And I think as soon as he came out, he realized he was he was with a good bunch of good humored people. Um I think the very first line I had a little clipboard. I remember being quite nervous actually, and a little clipboard in my hand, and I kept looking at my notes and I think I went through all his career stats and, I, and my first question was like, oh, it wasn't a bad career, Brian, was it? He kind of started taking the piss out of me. He's like, oh, it would be a lot more impressive if you didn't have to read that off a clipboard. <laughs> so I got a bit of a rinsing from the from the audience and I was like, okay, he he just retired from, uh, just left the Thai national team. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, all right, I'll give you that one if you can name your back four from your last <laughs> game as the toy manager. And he, he just kind of got a good laugh about it. So um, we kind of went on from there. And yeah, as the night progressed, he just the beer started flowing and um, everyone had a, yeah, everyone had a great night that night. And um, that led us on to um, David May was the next one, next one to come over. Um, and similar, I think think it was a lot more relaxed for the Dave and May one because we knew we could do it at that stage. It wasn't uh, we'd done our trial run and we actually, was actually sorry we had two Dave and May nights. He'd um, yeah, he came over one of, uh, yeah, he was doing he was doing an event in Sydney, I think something for Sky Sports, and we ended up nabbing him to come down, and that was our kind of first big night. Um, well, that was good. <laughs> we picked him up from the airport at one o'clock in the day. And he wasn't on till eight o'clock that night, myself and Ollie. Um, and <laughs> we, we kind of dropped him to his hotel and it was about one o'clock in the day, as I say. And he said, well, what am I going to do now till eight o'clock? And I said, well, I've got to go set up. I looked at Ollie and she's like, oh, we can get something to eat if you want to. So we decided to take her for a drink and they went to, I think, uh, every single bar along the Brisbane River and got a bottle of wine in each one. <laughs> when they arrived, he was drunk. Ollie was just <laughs> in a little world of our own, but probably made for a great night. He was, um, he, he kind of uh, didn't hold back then and, you know, gave us great answers to all the questions. And yeah. He, I, think, he I think that's one of the things, obviously we had David May, coming on a year ago, maybe maybe two years ago, I forget when it was, um, the time does fly. But I think it's one of those things in terms of you mentioned there, a little bit nervous with that Brian Robson event thinking, well, how do we approach this? Is this a is this a sit-down thing with a formal Q&A or is it something where you can just do a really casual thing? And like you said with David May, it was perfect with us. It was literally just sitting around a table in the back room of the pub, everyone with a couple of beers. And David May, it was just like he was just literally one of the – obviously everyone had a great moment going up and getting a photo and autograph. Yeah. But other than that, you couldn't tell who was the X-Man United player. Everyone was literally on the same level. And I think like Brian Robson's done that. We've obviously seen events that he did over in Perth with Dennis Irwin. And you, you, we are in awe of these people because we've grown up idolising them. But when you actually sit down, and we've been in a fortunate position where we have been able to sit down with a few of them. But that's you the, I, I think sometimes you forget that they're just normal people. You know what I mean? They, they happen to have played for the biggest club in the world. But at the end of the day they're just people that, that enjoy a drink enjoy a bit of banter and like david may was was drinking with us till till four in the morning that night you know so it was <laughs> they're just normal people then i suppose after after five ten minutes in that company you realize that yeah no definitely well you're just speaking of brian robson there but another sort of which all the brisbane listeners will know there's another very famous brian and brian murphy you got a few little stories about yeah well um he he kind of uh the only time i really stepped down it was actually after the brian um brian robson event as i said it was the hardest most stressful thing i've ever done and um, we finally got it over the line but at that stage he had come onto the board and i was looking probably for a break it, it takes up a lot of your time as you know and um i, I kind of i just be, i just got engaged and i just wanted to take a step back but identified him as being the ideal he's very similar to myself he's a you know he's a good uh, good people person good organizer and um i remember saying to him that night i was i said to him i want you to take over 
Um, so I suppose it's kind of like uh, Fergie uh, asking David Moyes to take over. <laughs> and probably Smurf's reign went as well as David Moyes. Uh, and it lasted about, oh, I'll give him two weeks maybe. Um, and then he got, well, listen to the story about him leaving Australia uh, differs, but I'm still standing by he got deported. Um, but yeah, he claims he left of his own free will. But um, oh, well, j- joking aside, Smurf, um, I think I said in the documentary, he's one of the best things that ever happened to the supporters club. He was um, just full, so full of energy and it's such a pity he had to go. Um, I think whether he was chairman and, and I and I kind of helped him out or if, if, if I had to take him back over and had him by my side, the two of us would have done brilliant things. But um, he's doing his own thing now. He's happy out in Ireland and um, he's running well, his yeah, own support. As I say, it looks club. like he's doing a great job with the yeah. West Limerick Supporters Club. So um, yeah, make sure we'll, we'll tag all these. We'll tag Brisbane Supporters Club and West Limerick all on Twitter. So please go and follow those. Just another reminder, wherever you listen, whether it be in Brisbane, hopefully in Brisbane or Sydney, to come and get involved in your supporters club or wherever you are. I remember a couple of months ago, we had an interview. Two guys were here traveling to Sydney from a supporters club in India, the, Col- the Colapore Supporters Club. And wherever you are in the world, it's so important to be involved um, with your local supporters club. But one thing I just want to move on to before we get on to the Perth tour. Now, our supporters club here in Sydney, we have actually haven't had one in a while, but we try and do maybe two or three times a year a charity game against another supporters club. So we've had a game against Crystal Palace, the Chelsea supporters club, the Liverpool, um, Man City. And there's, there's a good little network. Now, we haven't been able to do one recently um, for obvious reasons, but hopefully we can do one soon. But the way we do it is sort of we pick a charity, we decide on one with the supporters club, with the fellow supporters club, and raise a bit of money. Everyone does like 20, 20 bucks per player. And we raise a few hundred bucks for whatever charity, which is very good. But one thing I think the Brisbane club did very well is a similar thing, but yours is an annual Munich tribute match in terms of set around almost around the Munich date as close to as possible. Just a little bit about sort of what goes on there, how that came about, but mainly how did that come about and just sort of your highlights of those games over the years. I think it was the I think it was the 60th anniversary of the the Munich air crash, and United had had asked us to do to market in some way, and I think most people just did a, a social media post or or some people got flags or banners and that, but kind of someone threw out the idea of um, having a game. I think originally it was we were going to try and do it against a group of Munich supporters or, or Belgrade supporters or something like that. And then it was kind of, it was kind of hard to organize. And one of the, one of the guys Owen Miller, who's, who's involved in the sports club runs a local um, football club here, Eastern suburbs. And he said, why don't you play? Why don't you play our team? And um, yeah, we went with that idea and, we kind of just threw it together. We didn't want to go out and um, just get the best footballers in Brisbane and, and put them together and just trash some team. You know, it was all about getting um, everyone in the supporters club involved. So we kind of had a, oh, we had a couple of decent players and we had a couple of misfits and a couple of ringers at the end. But it ended up, we went out and put it together and we beat them. I think the first ever game, it couldn't have been more... Man United-esque it was like I think it was we were 2-1 down and we ended up winning 3-2 with a, a 90th minute winner and I just remember that day everyone was so I'll never forget Wayne Hunter um, he was our he was our coach on the day and 
he went he, he arrived in the suit and everything he there he's like oh if i'm gonna be matt busby i'll look like him but wayne is a real uh happy-go-lucky guy and I expected this speech before the game to be um, best of luck, guys, uh, break a leg, you know, and just just have a great game. But he, he stuck on into this kind of speech about how important representing Man United, you know, and you could hear a pin drop. And I think everyone went there onto the pitch and just when when hell for leather really important wanted to win it, um, felt like you were kind of representing United that day. And, I think the one that stands, the one thing that stood out to me, still one of my favourite memories of running the supporters club was a guy called Tom Greenwell. Um, he hadn't played football in years, and I remember him saying to me he was a, he was afraid uh, he was going to embarrass himself, and he came on at left back for about ten minutes to go, a couple of nice little touches, and then there was this 50-50, and he just upended, got the ball, but he got everything else as well, and he got up and he was just buzzing, you know. But it was a social media post the next day he put up on Facebook that he was um, something like his his kids, uh, he was his kids' hero that day, and that he'd never been uh, lucky enough to see his own father play football, and how it had really made him want to get you know get fit again and 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 really reinvigorated him and um yeah I'll, I'll never forget that just to come out of that um that one little game yeah no definitely very 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 moving but yeah just one thing you mentioned there in regards to almost feeling like you're representing united i remember whenever we start these charity games everyone rocks up and we're the, we're the type of guys who i remember we'll play liverpool our last game against liverpool Liverpool were there an hour and a half early. They're all in their matching kits, like had official kits, the Liverpool Supporters Club kits. We're rocking up 10 minutes before kickoff. Just about had nine or 10 players. And everyone's having a bit of a laugh. Oh, yeah, we'll have a couple of beers after. Once that whistle goes, yeah. something switches and you, you feel you do have the badge on your chest and there does feel a responsibility and everyone just lives up to it. And obviously, as you mentioned, there are sort of good players and some less, lesser players, but those lesser players, they lift. And yeah. it always turns into a great game. The quality doesn't really sort of stand out. I think there is something special about it, and it is good that we can do it now. I remember the first couple of games we had, we just put it sort of out on the Facebook page, was anyone available? But now it's become a little bit more sort of routine. We're able to say that strictly members only, yeah. which is good. Sometimes might be to see a few lesser players, but those players, I think it's a really good reward to have them in the team, and they love it. And as you mentioned, if you get little stories like that, um, there's no better reason to do it. But we'll move on and start to wrap up the podcast a little bit. But obviously, we talked about the Sydney tour, but um, the Perth tour was only a year ago, just a little bit over a year ago, another great tour. And um, it's a little bit different for us in Sydney because obviously the first one was in 2013, was here in Sydney. But this, in terms of you mentioned before, almost feeling like an away day. That's all we had. Or you've obviously experienced that, but that's what it felt like for us traveling over there. As much as, as great as it was in 2013, I far, I far more enjoyed the Perth tour. I took the week off work. It was absolutely fantastic. Just your little sort of highlights from the Perth tour from the Brisbane point of view. Yeah, well, like you said, it was. I think the Sydney the Sydney trip, um, like we were in our infancy, and and Perth didn't have a supporters club and that. And I think we realised in that Sydney trip that the next time this that United came over, we we all needed to get together. And as the as the the couple of weeks and months beforehand we all started chatting to each other we set up a group between all the the committees and said let's do everything together and and that was like when you when you're in a country where 
football isn't the number one sport um, and the, the team we support is is going to be playing a, a crazy hours of the morning. You, you haven't got a huge demographic of people to, you know, you haven't got got a huge group of people. So when you bring everyone all together, that that's kind of going to be your the the biggest kind of events you can get is when everyone is coming from all different cities and that. So I think the fact that Perth was two games as well um, made it that everyone made a week out of it, and it was like a it was like a little holiday rather than a long weekend. Mm. Um, but I think the the highlight for me was the the Leeds game. Like like you you touched on earlier, the, the preseason game, especially for people who've been to Old Trafford, it's it's the game itself isn't really a highlight. It's it's just a preseason game for fitness. There was about ten minutes to go. Oh, yeah, I, know, I know what you're gonna say. Leeds game. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know who started the Ole's at the wheel, but I've never, ever heard a song go so long in my life. I'll never never forget Mel McLaughlin below us uh, trying to do her post-match interview. And she was a good, she just looking back laughing. And I, I, I still, people say, how did that end that day? I'm sure someone must have died or something because I, I don't know. It just... I think everyone wanted to stop and they're like, don't you dare be the one that stops this. <laughs> and I just got into, I got in my notes here, it was my, my next point, that last 10 minutes against Leeds. And it was just one of those ones that almost, it, it never had a feel of stopping though. It just got louder every single time. More and yeah. more people are getting involved. And it is something, obviously had many highlights of the tour, but it is something that stands out that last 10 minutes, as you say. Yeah, I think and I think at that stage, we, we came up with the idea of um, obviously Cantona used to play. Oh, yeah. the, the masks, the, I, I, I've still got mine somewhere. I remember the Brisbane. For, for those who don't know, the Brisbane supporters club. You, you'd be able to give a little bit more light on it in terms of whose idea it was. But obviously, against Leeds, um, brought all these Eric Cantona masks. So there must have been hundreds sort of United fans behind the goal, all looking like Eric Cantona. I think it's just one of them things. I just wanted something novelty. I, I get these crazy ideas some days and work, and it just came into my head one day and. I think we ordered a 150 Eric Cantona mask. But what we didn't realise was you had to put them together. You had to put the string through them. And yeah. uh, good on uh, Sam Davis, one of the one of the girls in the group. She did every one of them the night before the game. And um, I remember handing them out. I was I was handing them to, I was looking for everyone in our supporters club and I was handing them out. And I had about 20 left and... The game was kicking off, and Brendan, one one of the members, just took them out of my hand and just tossed them up in the air. <laughs> I'll never forget the next day. I was in the airport, and I heard some guy in front of me. He's like, "Oh, did you see they were giving out Eric Cantona masks at the game?" And <laughs> I was trying not to laugh. I was like, "Yeah, someone just whipped them out of my hand." And <laughs> yeah, and I definitely. I've still got mine somewhere. I remember it was it was in the bottom last time I had to get my suitcase. It was still in the like, one of the <laughs> compartments in my suitcase. So, um, yeah, no, definitely. There's some very good photos there. But just to wrap up the podcast, because obviously we could talk about the Perth tour forever. It's fantastic. Actually, yeah. I'll just throw you just one little question, and I'm sure I'd know the answer, but it'll be interesting to get your take. You know, picture this as a COVID-free world. Everything's normal. Okay, yeah. fans are allowed in stadiums. People are travelling. Everything's normal. Now, you've had two away days in terms of the Sydney tour and now the Perth tour. Now, as someone who's on a supporters club realising the work that goes into it, and the enjoyment of a tour of going interstate and having a week away watching United and interacting with fans. If United come here now, say in the next five years, United announced an Australian tour, 
Are you hoping it's Brisbane, which I'm sure that is the answer, but is there a thing, oh, God, that's a lot of work. I'd rather just a week away in Melbourne or in Perth or in Adelaide or in Sydney. It's kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah I kind of like somewhere else to have a ball. I think I know how good we could do it here. And, and to repay the the hospitality we had in, in, in Sydney and, and, and Perth, I think... I know we would. I know we would do it justice. Um, I know everyone in the in the group would would come on board and get all the help help we needed. But I think that's probably you know there's what's on the to do list for a support school. You've had Brian Robson. You've you've had away trips. You've had you know you're into your ten years now. So it's definitely yeah, it's definitely on there. I, I really, I, I'm not looking forward to the workload if it does happen, but. I know, like I said, I know we do it justice, and I'd, I'd love to have all of the Australian supporters in, in Brisbane for one big game. Yeah, I'd love it. Well, you, you look at it now, and, and who knows what the world will look like in six weeks, six months, six years, who knows? But if the clubs do get back to sort of pre-season trips, I don't think they're going anywhere in Asia soon. Definitely not going to America soon. And as bad as some parts in Australia are, Australia's probably on one of the most safest places to go, you think, if they do eventually do that in a few years. So... Hopefully we don't have to wait five or six years, which it does seemingly look like on sort of their schedule, but um, it will be interesting. But just to wrap up the podcast, obviously we mentioned at the start, it is the 10-year anniversary of the Brisbane Supporters Club and they had a big sort of anniversary celebration on the weekend, which was luckily followed up by, um, that just has my phone ringing, I'll just pause that, just as, um, who did we play on the weekend? Jog my memory. Um, Newcastle, the 4-1 winning against Newcastle. I've still got PSG on my, PSG on my mind. But um, a little bit about that 10-year anniversary celebration on the weekend. Yeah, so we wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, we were just going to have a big night at the Pig and Whistle. And we said kind of, how can we how can we make it a special night? Um, so we decided we were going to have like a meal and, and rent a hotel and, and have a proper formal kind of a night. Not too formal, but, you know, just do something. We obviously had our documentary um, in the making at the time, so we said it'd be the ideal night to, to show it to everyone. Um, but it was just, it was so weird seeing everyone. You're so used to seeing them in United jerseys and seeing them all dressed up and uh, and looking well and lo- like they were going to a proper party and that. But I think I think the other night really showed the strength of of this supporters club um, because. In the 10 years, it's become so much more than football. Um, bef- before I was talking to you, actually, I was, I was on the phone to, to Smurf. Um, it's crazy. He, he, left, he left five years ago. Um, and I still talk to him once every couple of weeks. You know, we, we stay in touch. But seeing everyone there the other night, and like the game wasn't until 5 a.m., but we, we struggled to get 50 members 10 years ago. And here we are, I think there was 52 people there the other night that are willing to pay $100 to come to a dinner just to celebrate with all these people. Um, and like, you, you, can, you can have the best run supporters club in the world. You can have loads of funding. You can have a great venue. But you can't, you, you can't get the people. You can't buy good people. You can't... I don't really, I don't really know what I'm kind of, what way I'm trying to say it, but they're the, the best group of people you could meet 
And if you saw them all the other night, like my wife very rarely comes to events. Um, and she came the other night and she was saying, these are just such a great, lovely bunch of people. Um, all like-minded kind of people. And it used to be, I think that's the big change in the 10 years. It used to be all about the football. We only met up if there was a game on. And as soon as the game was over, we all just headed home. But now people are, like Smurf was at my wedding. Um, Jed Riddy, who was involved um, a lot, was um, Mike's best best man. You know, there's, um, there's been relationships formed through the supporters club and there's, there's, there's little mini groups within, you know, you've got the, the older crew who keep banging on about the 70s and telling me how much I miss the 70s. I, I kind of keep trying to tell them that it's probably because I wasn't born until 1983 <laughs> that I, I, I apologise that I wasn't around in the 70s. But then you've got the, the new younger guys and, and lads like Dean and that, that, you know, are the next generation. And I just, if, if I looked at, you're talking about highlights of Perth. There was one day that stuck out in particular where, as I said, it used to always be that I had to organise something, had to be around the football. There was one of the off off days where we didn't have a, a game and I walked into one of the pubs and there was just this complete different uh, group of people. There was a Canadian, there was someone from Manchester, there was Irish, there was parents, there was young kids and everything. And just this big group all having a great great time and um our treasurer kelly said to me afterwards she's like this what a great day she said this is like going on holiday with 20 of your best friends and um, yeah, no, definitely there's almost that you just mentioned there and we, i think it gets thrown out as a little bit of a cliche at times there's no hiding from it there is a family feel to supporting man united definitely definitely and and like i I've noticed that big difference myself. I, as I said, I was a, a young single fellow when I came over here. Um, ten years later, now I have a wife and a child, and so many of us have kind of grown up. But we we decided let's keep this going and and let's bring this on into the next ten years. Let's okay, we can't get out every weekend. We we maybe only get out once a month. Every everyone has different situations, but let's not let's not let what we built up over the last 10 years uh, go to waste and nights like that the other night are just fantastic so many of the the partners and wives and, and girlfriends that don't usually come and they're saying what a great bunch of people you have here and i can see why you want to be involved in this you know yeah no definitely you just really jog my memory there in terms of it's nice to see people in a different setting we're, we're used to seeing beers flying and man united shirts yeah. and everything but sometimes those dinners i remember we had our 20th dinner it was a little bit after the sydney tour our 20th anniversary dinner and um we're fortunate enough to have the um sort of the late liam miller may rest in peace obviously he was playing for brisbane at the time he was down in yeah. sydney and it is good to just see people you are close to in a different setting it gives you that it, it takes you away from the football side of things and it is something where you think well i'm here for the football but it is something that deep down i, I think you do take away from it and you do treasure it but um I think that's probably a good time to wrap up the podcast. Hopefully everyone has enjoyed it because it is, again, something different, which I mentioned at the start. We get so worked up in talking about Paul Pogba, should he stay, should he go, should this manager should come in, should he, what's happened with the Glazers. We never talk about the fans in terms of a supporters club. I urge anyone, hopefully you're in Sydney listening to this or if you're in Brisbane, go and sign up to the Brisbane Supporters Club or wherever you are in the world. 
I know we've got some American listeners, find your local supporters club because the people who do sort of run your local supporters club, which is still because we like Man United, are not getting paid for it. It's costing us money. It's costing us a lot of time. And there is, we're literally just doing it for fellow United fans. As Keith just mentioned a few times, when you can put on an event and see other United fans really enjoy themselves, it's just something inside you. It does give you a good feeling. And that literally is the reason why um, I still do it. And I still love doing it. So, um, please go and find your local supporters club and sign up and we'll leave all the Brisbane links and obviously West Limerick to Brian's group who's currently in Ireland as we'll leave all those in the Twitter and all the Facebook posts. So please go and follow all those and like we finish every podcast and make sure you're following on all the your podcast apps and leave us a review and a rating if possible and all over social media as well. And um, hopefully everyone is enjoying this podcast. We're trying to sort of, a lot of our listeners are Sydney-based, but if we can sort of expand a little bit to sort of Brisbane, Perth, etc., I think if anyone does want to have a say on their pod, on this podcast, feel free. We'll sort of have someone on from every single state now. Um, so do not hesitate to get in touch, and we'll definitely get you on. It was nice and easy, Keith. Only took us two hours to set up the Zoom, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm not used to these computers. I'm, I'm used to banging a hammer on a building. So, it's, so yeah, we got there in the end. No, a pleasure, an absolute pleasure to have a chat to you again. Hopefully everyone enjoyed it a lot and you can listen to this over the weekend as we build up to the unfortunate 3.30am kickoff against Chelsea. What time is it in Brisbane, the, the Chelsea match? Yeah, half two, 2.30, two, yeah. At least it's a Saturday night, at least it's not a Monday morning. No, that's it. But um, again, hopefully everyone enjoyed it. Enjoy your weekend and tune in next week when Larry and I will obviously be reviewing um, our 4-0 victory over Fat Frank and Chelsea. Uh, cheers.